Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Advent, we're going to be doing a series called A Light in the Darkness. The goal of this series is to explore how God makes the divine known to us in ways that we can observe and experience in the world. We'll be going along with the themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. I hope you enjoy and have a wonderful Advent. Our first reading today is from Genesis, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 6, the Lord coming to Abraham in a vision. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house has to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, no one, but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And then the Lord said to Abram, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 25 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. So if you have been here at all during the season of Advent in our church, you know that every Sunday when we come together, we light candles on our Advent wreath. And this is a wonderful aspect of our worship service that we do each Sunday during Advent. And as you can see over there, there are four candles around it and then one in the center. And each of these candles, they represent a theme that we are going to be talking about during Advent. So the first theme, what are we talking about today? You've heard us talk about it a bit. What is it? hope. The next week, we're going to talk about peace. The third week, we're going to talk about joy. The fourth week, love. And the final week, we're going to be talking about Jesus, who is the light of the world. That's the center candle. Now, I've decided that during our sermon series in Advent, we're going to focus on the themes that are surrounding these candles. And therefore, the sermon series we're going to be doing is called A Light in the Darkness. A light in the darkness. And the focus of this particular sermon series is to talk about how even though our world is dominated by violence, evil, and immorality, that God's light still shines through the darkness that enshrouds our lives. So each week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking for the ways in which we can observe and experience God in the world. So we take the theme and we break the theme down and look at the ways that God's presence is manifest in the world. Does that seem reasonable enough to you all? Good? Yes? Maybe? No? All right, you're with me, right? Okay, good. 
All right, so today we begin with hope, and I want to start by telling you a story. The story goes back to when I was in seminary, and in seminary what usually happens is you have to get internships in order to kind of learn what you're doing, and I was very fortunate in the sense that I actually got a real job that paid well. It wasn't just the peanuts they give you for the internship, and I was a director of youth at the Methodist church down the street. Don't judge me. I know the Methodists. They're okay, right? So... uh, So I spent some time with them, and the thing is, since the seminary was so close to this church, a number of my professors actually went to this church, and some of the children in my youth were from the professors there. So, uh, so two of the youth, there was a brother and a sister, they were in the youth group, and their mother was one of the theology professors. So I felt a little bit of pressure, you know, I didn't want to wing it every day, you know, I wanted to make sure I was teaching them something right, because they had an actual resource they could go home to and, you know, check with to make sure I was telling them the right things. And I got to know her over the years. And I will tell you that what I learned from her as a mother far exceeded what I learned from her as a theology professor. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. In the middle of my time of working with them, uh, their family started to go through a really tough time in the sense that they were watching the decline of her mother. And I think this is something that you can all relate to on some level or another, right? I mean, to watch the decline of grandparents or parents, it's hard, particularly when somebody has come to the end of their lives. It's a hard thing to watch. And she told me how at one point in the middle of all of this, it was Christmas Eve, and she went to the Christmas service, and she said, Alex, the one thing that I wanted out of this service was to feel a little bit of hope, because I was feeling pretty hopeless. Now, I wasn't part of this service, so you can't blame me for this, but uh, she went into the service, and she didn't get what she was looking for. She didn't find hope. And I remember what she said to me. She looked at me, and she said, Alex... Your job as a pastor is to spread hope. Don't you ever forget that. And I haven't. In everything that I do as a pastor, I try, even when we're talking about very dark subjects, I try to spread hope. Because we all need hope, don't we? I mean, we do. Even when our lives are enshrouded in that darkness, we need to believe that there is something there on the other side. The definition of hope is desiring something that for a certain thing to happen or a feeling of expectation. And I think this is kind of an interesting definition. This is a dictionary definition. Does this really do it for you, the dictionary definition? I mean, it kind of gets at it, right? I mean, so if you have children or grandchildren, you know, they're hoping that they get some good presents for Christmas, right? Does that fit the definition? Yeah, it does. My son, Elijah, he's hoping for an iPad. He has expensive hopes. (laughs) Now, it fits the definition, right? He's hoping for this thing. And it sounds okay, right? But is that what we're talking about today? Is that what hope really is? No, it's not. You see, the Christian definition of hope is a little different from the standard definition. And we read this definition today in Paul's letter to the Romans. So let's take a look at that one more time, shall we? For in hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now what does Paul mean by hope that is seen is not hope? What does he mean by that? 
was talking about the difference between the tangible and the intangible, right? He's talking about the difference between those two things. So my son, he's hoping for an iPad. Very tangible, right? But here's the problem with the iPad. The iPad will eventually let him down. It's eventually going to break, right? I mean, after so many years of use, it's not going to work the way that it used to. And this is true of all things that are tangible in our lives. People are the same way. We put a lot of hope into our politicians, do we not? We say, oh, this is the person, right? This man or woman, they are going to change it all for us. They're going to right the ship. They're going to get it going in the right direction. But the truth is, every politician, no matter how well-meaning they might be, they are just people. And people make mistakes, and people fail. And this is why Paul tells us that we need to place our hopes into the intangible. We need to place our hopes in things not seen. Ultimately, Paul tells us we need to place our hope in God. And the reason why he says this is because unlike everything else that is tangible in our lives, unlike everything else that will let us down, Paul tells us that God will never let us down. And I believe that to the degree that I really believe that God's love is truly the only permanent thing that we have in this universe. It's the one thing that undergirds everything that is there. And what I have found personally is that if you are willing to take a leap of faith, if you are willing to take a chance and invest your hope in that love, then you will see the fruition of that hope in your life. Now, what does it mean to place your hope in God? Because you hear pastors say that, you hear Christians say that. It's nice to say it. What does it actually mean? And that's why we read this story this morning from the book of Genesis. Are you familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah? Okay, you should be because I've talked about Genesis since I got here. So, right? You should know about it. Okay, so Abraham and Sarah, real quick, at this portion of the story, here's what happens. God is speaking to Abraham and gives a promise to him and says, Your descendants will be greater than the stars in the sky. But the promise feels a little bit empty to him because he has no biological children at this point in the story. And the reason why is because his wife, Sarah, is barren, meaning she can't get pregnant. Now, in the ancient world, having a male heir was extraordinarily important because if you wanted to pass on the family lineage, the assets, the property, all that stuff, you needed to have a son. It's not like today where you could pass it to a woman. You had to have a son. And since he has no biological children, the only person who he can pass all of his property and assets onto is a slave in his household named Eliezer. So when Abraham dies, so does his family name. And to make matters worse... His wife, Sarah, is well beyond her childbearing years, meaning the likelihood that he's going to have a biological son is practically nil. So based on the things that Abraham can see, based on the tangibles, he's understandably a little skeptical that anything's going to change because the odds are stacked against him, right? But God says to him, look, you need to place your hope in the intangibles. You need to place your hope in me. And so the story goes that eventually Sarah does become pregnant, and she gives birth to a son whom they name Isaac. Now, the purpose of this story is to illustrate to us that if you're willing to put your hope into the intangible, if you're willing to place your hope in God, then it has the ability to change the tangibles in your life for the better. 
That's very important. It has the ability to change the tangibles in your life for the better. It's a reminder to us that we need to believe in God even when it seems like all the odds are stacked against us and there is no hope of anything better happening. Now, that's the story. That's the story we read. Now, how old is that story? Thousands of years old, right? Now, you know me. When I read a story that's thousands of years old, I want to try to bring it into our modern context. I want to try to say, what would that story look like today? And I was looking around, and I found a story that actually really does mirror this in a really amazing way, actually. So I found out about a group of men over in Syria. They are known as the White Helmets. Now, the White Helmets... They are a group of volunteers who organized in 2013, and their role is that they go into the rebel-held areas of Syria, and when there's been a bombing, they go in and they try to get people out to rescue people. So these men, they basically do search and rescue. They, they try to get civilians. They, they evacuate them from areas that are about to be bombed. They also will go in and do medical evacuation, and they will do essential service delivery. So if there's something that has to get somewhere, they'll take it to it. Now, these men, they have rescued people, mostly civilians, who are being targeted by Bashar al-Assad's regime. As of April of 2018, they have saved more than 114,000 lives, with 204 losing their lives in the process. And just so you know, those people who lost their lives, it wasn't primarily because they were trying to go into these tough areas to save them. It's because Bashar al-Assad told his snipers to go after them. And I really believe that... uh, that man should be held accountable for what he's done. And I hope that at one point he's taken before an international tribunal and placed in prison for the rest of his life. I think what the Russians are doing by helping to guard him is just horrific. And I just needed to say that out loud because I think that that's just true. These men, they work in one of the darkest places in the world, and yet they still have hope. As Abu Omar says, he says, after they rescue baby Mahmoud, he says, without hope, what good is life? People will die without hope. These men, they have placed their hope in the intangible. They have placed their hope in things not seen, and they have brought a great light into the world. And if you think about the story of Abraham and Sarah, their story is very similar, because their hope gave them a miracle baby as well. And so I pose the question to you this morning. Where is your hope come from? Where does your hope come from? As I said earlier, I think many of us place our hopes into the tangibles. And it's understandable, isn't it? Your relationships, your family, your friends, your job, the money in your bank account... Why do we place our hope in these things? Because they are necessary for us to survive, are they not? But there are some things that these tangibles cannot do for us. I really believe that inside of every single one of us, deep down inside of all of our hearts, there is this void. And this void, it grows larger the older you become. And what I see happening 
is I see people try to fill that void with all kinds of different things. We fill it with our relationships. We fill it with our work. We fill it with food and alcohol. When alcohol doesn't work, we fill it with drugs. We fill it with entertainment. We fill it with television and movies and video games. We fill it with books and art and music and intellectualism. Whatever will suppress the feeling inside of us that our lives are not quite whole, that it's not all right there the way we want it to be, that our meaning and our purpose are elusive. And sometimes, when you feel this deep down inside of you, it can actually threaten to crush you. And this is when we begin looking in the world for hope. This is where we start to look for that light in the darkness. You see, I really believe that many of us, we just float through life We assume the purpose that society has designated for us. So when you're born, you try to please your parents, right? And your purpose is to do what they want you to do. And your parents, they tell you, go to school and do well. And so you do. You go to school. You go through high school. Some of us go to college. Some of us go beyond that. And then once you finish that, your next purpose is to go out and to get a job. And once you have that job, your next purpose is to find a mate. And that mate... The next purpose is for you to have children so that you can repeat the whole cycle over again with them, right? I mean, that's what we're called to do by society. Many of us walk down this preordained path without ever really questioning it. But sometimes, sometimes we get this hint that maybe this path we've been walking down is not all that it's cracked up to be. And it's in those moments that we begin asking ourselves questions, We start asking ourselves deep questions, like, what have I been doing with my life? Was the time that I spent doing all those things worthwhile? Should I have spent all that time doing this particular job or focused on this particular cause? In the end, did I make a difference? Did I change anything? Was my presence worthwhile? Did my life actually leave a footprint that people care about me and will remember me in this world. Now, I will tell you that these are questions that, generally speaking, we're not supposed to be asking, right? They tell you to avoid those questions because those questions can break you if you ask them too much. But once you get a hint that the path you've been walking down, that it doesn't lead to some larger meaning and purpose, you have a choice. And your choice is You can keep going down the path and pretend like everything's okay when you know it's not. Or you can start looking for your meaning and your purpose elsewhere. And that's where Jesus and God come into the story. So this flame that you saw at the beginning, this candle burning, that's a very personal image to me. Because when I was going through one of the most despairing times in my life, that's how I imagine God in my heart. So I was walking down the path. I was going down that preordained path that society tells us to go down. And I remember at one point I stepped back and I started asking all those questions. And I felt very empty on the inside. And I wondered, what is it all for? Why am I doing this? And at a certain point, it got so deep in it that I wondered if what I was doing was essentially meaningless. And I came to a point where I actually thought about taking my own life. And I was contemplating that very, very hard. 
But the one thing that prevented me from doing that was my connection with God. And it was as if God was in my heart saying to me, look, I see what you're going through. I know how you're suffering. And you're right. The things that you've been striving for, they are essentially meaningless. But if you stick with me, if you stay with me, I promise I will show you where the true meaning and purpose are to be found. So I held on to that hope for quite a while. And eventually I felt drawn towards the scriptures, what was in the Bible, because I had this sense that maybe that purpose and meaning that I've been looking for, maybe it was in there. And I opened the pages and I started reading about Jesus and God's unconditional love. And I will tell you that that was very healing for me. And in fact, the more I got into it, the more I decided, okay, I'm going to live my life this way. I'm going to live according to Jesus' way. And that is where I found the meaning and purpose that was so elusive to me for so long. In fact, it's the reason why I became a pastor, because I wanted other people to know about the hope that had saved my life. And so I'm here today to tell you that if you are willing to invest, if you are willing to go deep and learn about Jesus' way, that you will not only find meaning and purpose, but you will find meaning for your soul, and your soul can be healed. As we end this morning, I want to speak to you all, and I want you all to know that if you are sitting there, and if you feel that you are abandoned and alone, if you feel that your life has lost its purpose, I hope that you will begin searching for that light in the darkness. Place your hopes into the intangible so that it can change the tangibles in your life for the better. Allow God to be your guide so that Jesus can fill your heart, that void that is right there with true purpose and meaning. The fact is we all need hope in our lives. Every single one of us, we need hope. And some of us need hope now more than ever. And so my prayer for you during this Advent season is that you would find the hope that you need and that your soul might be healed. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.